Welcome to the Brother Cousins Podcast, Episode 3. This is Brother Cousin Christopher Gerald, and I'll be your host this week. We're continuing this month's series discussing love, the new command older than time. Today our topic centers on barriers to love in the Christian life. Uh, so hang tight because next week's episode will be a roundtable discussion with all three brother cousins, Jared, Jeffrey, and me. Um, and we're going to put a capstone on this series and introduce our series for next month. So please be sure to subscribe just to make sure that you don't miss out. So for today's episode, we're going to discuss a couple of points. Uh, those will be the cost of following Jesus, uh, the competing love of ourself, barriers to this love, and we're also going to finish up by discussing a key concept for how we can maybe learn how to love others a little bit better. So I want to start by looking at a saying of Jesus as we find in Luke chapter 14 and verse 26. Jesus said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, in his own life he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he's laid a foundation and is not able to finish it, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going out to encounter another king in war, will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with ten thousand to meet him who comes against him with twenty thousand? And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation to ask for terms of peace. So this message of Jesus really resonates with me as my wife Laura and I. We, we built the house about a year and a half ago. We finished it. But before we started that process, before we even laid the foundation, we sat down and we counted the cost uh, to see if we could afford to finish it. And as we began to get into the process, we made some revisions and uh, changes to the plan that impacted uh, our final cost and what we were able to do. And I know that this has been kind of a crazy thing with a lot of people recently trying to build a house and the explosion of the cost of building materials and sometimes the inability to get said materials, even if you can afford them. And so these are things that we, common sense, if you're going to build something, you want to know what your cost is going to be. If you're a king committing soldiers, you're going to want to make sure that you can commit enough to make sure that you're successful. And if not, you may need to find another solution to see if you can be um, successful without fighting. And so it leads us to believe, or leads us to ask the question, rather, what's the cost of following Jesus? Well, Jesus tells us in verse 33, he says, So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. I want you to understand what he says here. Choosing Jesus could literally cost everything. He says here that if you're not willing to give up everything, that doesn't make you a subpar disciple or a lukewarm disciple. He says, if you're not willing to put everything after me, then you cannot be my disciple. And just for clarification's sake, when Jesus said, if any man does not hate his own father, mother, wife, and children, etc., obviously the scripture commands us to love these people in our lives as we would love ourselves. The idea here is that for our fervor for God, our love for these others would appear to be a hatred because we put God very first. And when Jesus says that if we do not renounce all that we have, we cannot be his disciple. And if we look at history, many Christians have renounced everything for Christ. And the question that I want to begin by asking is, is that too much? 
is that cost too high? You know, as Jeffrey mentioned in episode one, the greatest command, uh, he looked at Mark chapter 12 and verse 30. The command for us is to love God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Really, the point is that this leaves no aspect of our being which isn't directed to the love of God. And so it makes me ask, well, can I really say that I love God with all of my heart, with all my soul strength and all my mind? And the question that follows that is, is there anything that I'm holding back from God, holding back my affection for Him for these other things? It also makes me think, well, if I am, uh, what is the thing that I'm putting ahead of my love for God? And what is my reason for doing so? And those are questions that maybe you should consider for yourself as well. So the question is, why is this the case? I believe the reason that we don't give God the devotion that he asks for is because we're too in love with ourselves. Listen to Paul's warning to Timothy about a selfish kind of people that he would encounter in his ministry. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1 through 4, he says, But understand this, that in the last days there will, be, there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. So there's several phrases I want to drill into in this passage here. First is the love of self. It's philatos. Uh, it literally means just to be in love with yourself. The love of money. Phil uh, Argaros, which literally means a lover of silver, someone who's fond of silver. We also have this word in verse 3, which is heartless. In the King James, it's rendered as without natural affection. And this means um, the word, the Greek word is a store guy, basically lacking familial affection or love for those in your family. It also talks about love of pleasure, philedonos. And the root word there is where we get our word for hedonist or someone who's a makes a religion out of pleasure-seeking. And it says, interesting here, that the person who does these things loves them more than God, more than a person who is a philotheos, someone who is fond of God. So the picture that Paul paints for Timothy here is a person who's preoccupied by the self. They worship money. They fail to love their family. They seek pleasure instead of God. And in this, Paul draws a contrast between the people he would encounter and then the example that he's tried to give Timothy. He says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 10, You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness. And this love that Paul talks about here is, is agapeo, right? This sacrificial, all-encompassing love that Jared and Jeffrey have really laid a good foundation for us in episodes 1 and 2. And so Paul's answer to utter selfishness was utter love. Uh, It's this agapeo, sacrificial, giving, serving love. Now let's clarify. It's not a sin to care for ourselves or to use money or to enjoy wholesome pleasure. However, all of these affections must take their place beneath or be subordinate to our affection for God which should be chief in our life. And so what we see is that these things can be a barrier. If we have this intense love for self, the self of seeking my enjoyment, my aims, my pleasure, 
then we're going to have problems when it comes to loving God. If we put anything in the place that only God deserves, the scripture teaches us that that's idolatry, that we make an idol of our very self. And so this produces a barrier to loving God as we ought. But what about our barriers for loving others? And I think this is an area where, uh, in talking with Jared and Jeffrey and our study together and listening to their uh, episodes, really convicted me is that I feel like I've been really selfish in withheld love from others that God says that it's my duty and my privilege to love. So what about our barriers to loving others? So if a love of self competes with our love for God, and I think that we would all um, acknowledge that temptation, that tension in our lives, that desire for ourself competes even more intensely against our love for other people. You know, God is not threatening to us. You know, God is a giver. Uh, there's nothing that I would go after that God would also go after and compete with him for this thing. But that's not true with people. Because these other people that God has commanded us to love may appear to pose a threat to our own happiness, to our own satisfaction, this fear of missing out that if I give this person the love, the attention, the time that God would require, then it's going to cost me something. And James talks about this kind of person here in James chapter 3, verse 13. He says, Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above. It is unearthly, unspiritual, demonic. And where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. But the wisdom that's from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. It's interesting as my wife Laura and I, we raise our children. Two of our children are very close in age and they're both boys. And so that means that they compete for everything, whether it's who gets to ride in this spot or who gets to play with a thing first. We often joke that if we could just keep them apart from one another, they would be perfect angels. And they find each other very lovable and, and easy to love as long as they don't want the same thing. But the minute that they start competing for the same thing, uh, that's when they start being ugly to one another. And they say unkind things, and they do unkind things. And I wish that I could say that this is only a childhood problem. Sadly, many adults do the same thing. Even in the Lord's Church, we, we get along just fine with other people until another person's desire arises to compete with our own. And this failure to exercise basic love for others results in a host of all kinds of evils that we commit and sin against each other, whether it might be bitterness in our heart, or slander, or backbiting, or evil thoughts, or accusations. All these things spring up. And we need to understand when we start feeling that coming up, that that influence is from hell, not from Christ. And let's reject it outright. So maybe you've discovered that you've got a problem in loving for others as you should. And I recognize that own problem in my life, too. So how do we fix this? You know, there's a wonderful and a beautiful example of how the first century Christians in Macedonia ordered and demonstrated their love all to the glory of Christ. And we can find this in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1-5. through 5. Paul writes, We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given to the churches of Macedonia. 
For in the severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but as they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us. I want you to notice something here. The churches in Macedonia, they really set the bar here for generosity. Many of us likely give of our abundance and our surplus to the church that we attend or to ministries that we're passionate about or causes that we think are worthy. But they gave beyond their means, Paul said. He speaks from experience. He goes, I can tell you that they gave more than they could really afford to give. They gave until it cost them. They gave with a love that is agapeo. And you might say, how can they do that? What would prompt them and enable them to give in such a way? But Paul tells us how. He says that they first gave themselves to the Lord. And then they gave themselves to the other Christians in the will of God. And so if we've got a problem loving our neighbor, loving our brother and sister in the Lord, That's an indicator to us that we need to take a step back and re-examine our love for God because there's no way that we can love our neighbor as God commands if we haven't yet learned how to give ourselves to God in the way that He demands. Paul finishes up this piece of the discourse in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 9 by saying, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sake He became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. I'm not sure if we're required in the scripture to give until we're poor, so that someone else might be rich. But we know that that's the example that Christ left to us. The Bible says in another place that he emptied himself for us. And when I think about what it took for Christ to literally empty himself of his godhood, to empty himself of the position as king that he deserved, to tolerate us, to tolerate our slow learning, to tolerate our questions, our ignorance, and even being murdered by his own creation. And he did it anyway. And when I think about my hesitancy to love God the way that he commands, and all the times that I have selfishly withheld the love that God commands that I give, to other people, I have to ask this question. This was brought up in a sermon I heard this week, and it really hit home with me. I hope it helps you and clarifies something for you. The question is, what more does Jesus Christ have to do for you so that you'll give him your whole heart? What more does Jesus Christ have to do for you so you'll give him your whole heart? Is it more money, a bigger house, greater influence on your social media accounts? Or is it that dream job that you've been thinking about? You know, if we're honest with ourselves, we realize that Jesus has already done all that we could ever ask. More already. And perhaps it's our turn to sacrifice. So I hope that this discussion of barriers to love has helped clarify some things for you. I encourage you to to seek God's wisdom and what it means to love him and to love your fellow man 
in the way that he commands. Thank you so much for listening today. Uh, Please give us a thumbs up, leave us a comment, or follow and subscribe wherever you consume podcasts. Uh, Remember, you can also find our corresponding blog post material at thebrothercousins.com. And uh, you can use the contact form there to reach out to us. Or you can hit us up with an email at brother.cousins at outlook.com. Lord willing, we'll see you next Monday for our roundtable discussion with Jared Wells and Jeffrey Wells. We hope you'll enjoy it. Thank you so much.